Over half of Canadians want the Trudeau government to reduce its immigration targets, according to a new poll. Drug overdose in British Columbia are at an all-time high despite the province's safe supply drug programs. Taiwan offers its help to Canada to combat election interference efforts conducted by Communist China. Hello Canada, it's Wednesday, September 13th and this is True North's Daily Brief. I'm Noah Jarvis. And I'm William Macbeth. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. An Anos poll has revealed that over half of Canadians would like to see the Trudeau government lower the number of incoming immigrants and international students planned for 2023. The poll conducted for the Globe and Mail saw an increase of nearly 20 percentage points of Canadians who believe it's time to lower the amount of immigrants accepted into Canada in the last six months. Ottawa's current target to accept 465,000 new immigrants by the end of the year. This figure only includes permanent residents and not temporary foreign workers or international students. Nanos conducted a similar poll in March, which found 34% of respondents wanted fewer immigrants than the federal government's target. That number is now up to 55%. Around a third of respondents say that they are fine with the current target from Ottawa, while 8% believe that it should be increased even more. Canada's housing crisis is undoubtedly a large contributing factor to the shift in tone from March, according to the chairman of Nanos Research, Nick Nanos. The federal government laid out a plan to accept 465,000 new permanent residents this year, with an increased target of about 485,000 for 2024, and then raising that number again to 500,000 for 2025. In August, Immigration Minister Mark Miller announced that Canada is set to welcome 900,000 international students in 2023, which is triple the annual amount the country accepted 10 years ago. William, it seems like as more time goes on, the public sentiment towards immigration worsens. Uh, why do you believe that is? Why do you believe that Canadians are turning against immigration at this point in time? Well, Noah, I, I think it's really quite uh, sad and disappointing. Canadians have always supported sensible immigration and it's been one of our strengths, I think, as a country. It's one of the reasons why we haven't uh, had a population problem like some of the other places that don't accept immigrants have. But what Canadians want is sustainable immigration that contributes to Canada's economic growth, not unsustainable immigration where we don't even have enough housing, uh, enough social services, enough, enough opportunity for immigrants to come here and be successful. I think that's where Canadians are really starting to struggle with these high immigration numbers. You're right. And with the rising cost in living and with the rise in housing prices, Canadians are just not seeing the benefit to bring in such large Im uh, numbers of immigrants while, you know, these immigrants are going to be competing for the same jobs and competing for the same housing that Canadians who were perhaps born here or have been here for a lot longer. Uh, they're going to have to compete with all those immigrants who uh, are looking for the same thing. So it seems as if the Canadian immigration system is not sustainable with the current situation in the country. Yeah, I think it's a significant problem that the government's going to find becoming increasingly acute if the housing crisis isn't solved. Six months after British Columbia decriminalized simple possession of virtually all drugs, statistics show that drug overdoses are projected to hit an all-time high in the province by the end of the year. Decriminalization in BC was first brought in on January 31st. 
If the rate of overdose deaths in the province continues at the pace it's currently at, this year will have the highest number of overdose deaths on record, according to the British Columbia Coroner Service. BC had 1,455 overdose deaths in the first six months of 2023, compared to 1,362 over the same time period last year. The province is facing an overdose death rate of 46.2 per 100,000 people, which would make it the highest in recorded history. The number of overdose deaths continues to climb, despite the fact that BC has implemented every proposed harm reduction program, including safe injection sites, safe supply, and decriminalizing all simple possession. With the exception of a slight drop in overdose deaths in 2019, the number has gone up following the introduction of each new measure. The number of BC overdose deaths for the entire year of 2013 was just 334, whereas this year there have already been 1,455. Between January 1 and July 31, the city of Vancouver alone has seen 382 overdose deaths. Despite this data release, Toronto is still moving towards decriminalizing possession of all drugs as well. The City of Toronto has requested an exemption from federal drug laws pushed by Chief Medical Officer Dr. Eileen Devilla and Police Chief Myron Demkew, supported by City Council. Toronto's request encompasses an even wider range of drugs than what has been decriminalized in BC. So Noah, these safe supply activists, you know, they would insist that a so-called safe supply program is based on science and evidence, but all we're seeing is more and more people dying from overdose deaths each and every year. Do you think it's time that we stop trying to make it easier for drug addicts to get drugs and actually focus on recovery and treatment instead? Absolutely, William. If you just look at the results from implementing these safe injection sites and these safe supply programs, they are not positive and it's actually creating to the opposite. You're just creating more addicts that who are just going to go out onto the street and continue on and perpetuating their addiction without you know receiving the in-person treatment that they need and with these safe supply programs it is also creating new addicts uh, younger people who are getting their hands on opiates and it is perpetuating the addictions crisis not helping it so transitioning to something like the alberta mo model where they are focusing on in-person treatment and recovery that would be uh, that would be something to look forward to but it seems as if the city of Toronto is not actually doing that, it is doing the opposite. It wants to decriminalize drugs as if BC has, and it wouldn't be a surprise to me if we see a spike in overdose deaths, unfortunately, as a result of decriminalization. You know, it's, it's interesting. I find whenever there's a conversation about uh, drug addiction and how to help it, the issue of community safety never seems to get um, uh, very much attention. And I have a lot of friends and other people who have young children who have talked about the fact that in and around safe injection sites, you're finding discarded used needles. Those are a risk to children and to, and to pets. There's public safety concerns, property crime damage. Why do you think none of that gets talked about nearly as much as, as just helping addicts get more of their preferred drug? 
Well, because a lot of the policymakers and the people that is helping them implement these policies, they're committed to an ideological agenda. They believe in their heart of hearts that it is not the addict's fault for their addiction and that, that they should be provided with a safe supply of the drugs in hopes that they will, in some you know miraculous fashion, get off the drugs. But we know from not just, you know, common sense but you know from the results of it that this is not an approach that works and i hope that the city of toronto reverses course as well as the british columbia and follow a model similar to alberta ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Taiwan's top diplomat struck a cordial note while offering the Taiwanese government support to its, quote, very good friend, Canada, as Ottawa looks to mount a new defense against growing interference efforts by the Chinese Communist Party. Speaking to reporters at a press conference in Taipei last week, Taiwanese Foreign Minister Joseph Wu glowingly spoke of the growing cooperation between Taiwan and Canada and reaffirmed the island nation's commitment to helping Canada if requested. When asked about advice the Taiwanese government would be able to provide Canada about how to combat interference campaigns from Beijing, Wu confirmed that the offer from Taiwan to assist Canada is on the table, but stopped short of providing direct advice in a public forum. Wu said, quote, I have to be careful in giving the Canadian government any advice, anything at all. But we have told our Canadian friends that if they think the information campaigns or United Front or that kind of thing is getting too serious in Canada, we would like to engage with the Canadian government. We can share our experiences with our Canadian friends. Last week, the Trudeau government announced a public inquiry into whether China, Russia, and other countries interfered in Canadian federal elections in 2019 and 2021. William, a country like Taiwan must be combating foreign interference from China all the time because of their proximity to China and the strategic importance that Taiwan has towards China. So do you believe that Canada should be seeking out Taiwan's advice in combating foreign interference? It's certainly an interesting question. There's, there's definitely no country on earth that has lived with China's looming geopolitical threat more than Taiwan having it be right in China's backyard and China announcing that doesn't even recognize Taiwan as a separate and independent country. And Canada, well, for our part, I think we are hopelessly naive when it comes to the fact that other countries would want to meddle and interfere in our federal elections. If you look at the federal government's response, the Trudeau government's response, they've almost had their heads stuck in the sand talking about this issue. They, they try and downplay and pretend it isn't serious. But I think there is a real serious threat when it comes to interfering in our elections and something we should take seriously. Taiwan's offer of help appears genuine. I think we should listen to what they have to say from someone who is constantly under Chinese threat. Absolutely. And as one of the few countries in the world order that supports Taiwan and their independence from uh, China, and it seems as, all, as if also a uh, 
potential future conservative government would be even more supportive of Taiwan and more apprehensive to the PRC. Uh, it seems as if Canada should be, you know, learning some lessons from Taiwan. Taiwan has already had to learn those hard lessons through, you know, social media. And they've been probably fighting uh, Chinese disinformation campaigns since the 1940s when uh, just after the Civil War. So they've been dealing with this issue for a long time, uh, looking for help from my allies, not just in Taiwan, but in the United States and abroad will be helpful and useful in combating foreign interference. Does the Trudeau government take foreign interference seriously enough? Well, that remains to be seen. It's true. And I mean, I would say foreign affairs has not been this government's strong point, the federal government. If you look at the number of international initiatives and events that it has attended, it often has to play damage control when it comes to its uh, response and its behavior at them. In fact, we've just seen Mr. Trudeau finally get home from an India summit where he was meeting with other world leaders. He, of course, came home a couple days late because his plane broke down. But he also tried to lecture the world on gender language was, quote unquote, what he contributed to the communicate at the end of the summit, whereas he really should have been talking about some of the more pressing issues that we all have, including a resurgent China trying to dominate world affairs increasingly and using its clout and economic might to pressure people to join its side. That's it for today, folks. Don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. Plus, The Andrew Lawton Show will be live today at 1 p.m. Eastern. Don't forget to share our work with your friends and neighbors. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. 